If you don't have a Bible, uh, we'll have the text up on the screens behind me in just a little bit, or maybe you're watching us online today. We'll put the text up on your screen when we get to that uh, part of our time together. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, we it's another thing that we like giving away around here. We can fix that. Uh, we can give you a, a nice Bible. Um, we believe that God uses his word for all kinds of important things. Chief among those important things is that he uses it to reveal himself to his people. Uh, we want you to know God. We want everything in your life and around your life and about your life to be defined by him, uh, fueled by him, shaped by him, valued by him, esteemed by him, all of the things by him. And if the scriptures are what he uses to get you there, then, well, it's a pretty wise move on our part to be putting Bibles in people's hands. Uh, so if you don't have a Bible of your very own, uh, come talk to me and we can, we can do something about that. Matthew chapter 28. Um, so there are a lot of special things about the beginning of a year, right? Like, uh, like, there's a reason why we celebrate it, uh, this year especially. Uh, the, the, it, was anybody like not looking forward to, to changing that calendar over? Um, holidays are winding down. There's, there's a, some semblance of normal returning. And I know normal is a relative word for, for what we've experienced the last several months, but I think we can use it in a relative way. Right? Uh, school's starting back up tomorrow, whether it's in person or online, probably just online, but at least school's starting back up. Right? Uh, you, you know, maybe... If you're not already back at work, you're going back to work tomorrow. Uh, Those packages that didn't arrive by Christmas hopefully have arrived by now. I think, though, we still have two that are floating out in the ether somewhere. Um, But, but, like, there's some semblance of normal uh, that's beginning to to kind of re-emerge. But at the same time, like, there's, there's this really special thing about the beginning of a year, which we all kind of instinctively understand and, and kind of grab a hold of as the, as the opportunity to have a fresh start, right? Like, like especially this year. We really want this kind of sense of a, of a new beginning and a, and a redo. We all kind of instinctively believe that hitting the reset button is going to fix all of our problems, Right? Whether you do the resolution thing or you don't do the resolution thing, the assumption is very deep down in us that a reboot is what's going to fix this place. That, that that's what we need. And even though flipping the page on a calendar doesn't make a deadly virus go away, and even though the problems that we seem to have in this world are still countless, even though those things don't just magically fix themselves at the beginning of a new calendar year, we all feel a little bit refreshed with the idea that 2021 is supposed to provide a chance to start over, right? Or at least I do. Spend enough time on the internet and looks like a lot of other people do too, right? We certainly all want this next year to be better than the one we just escaped. But... There's, a, there's another thing about the beginning of a new year that, that just absolutely fascinates me. Maybe it doesn't fascinate other people like it fascinates me. I'm just a dork in a lot of things, and you've probably you know, figured that out by now. But like, one of the things that fascinates me about the beginning of a year is this amazing thing that we call the State of the Union Address. And some of you giggle. <laughs> some of you groan. That, that knee-jerk reaction, it, it doesn't exist because the State of the Union is, is a bad thing in and of itself, I, I, think, I think we all kind of scoff at that idea and maybe giggle at that idea or maybe just groan at that idea because it's another proof that politics ruins everything. 
Or, or am I wrong about that? But if you strip away the grandstanding, and you strip away the virtue signaling, you strip away the, the bravado and the circus, the strip away all the, the theatrics, I think the State of the Union Address actually ends up being an incredibly brilliant idea. An incredibly brilliant idea. I, I know the evening usually gets turned into a circus of pandering and ego petting on both sides of the aisle, but, but the basic idea, when you boil it all down, is really nothing more than good leadership. I mean, think about it for a second. You get everybody in one room and you talk about how the year went. And then you cast vision for the year ahead. Like, like when you strip away all of the nonsense that we piled on top of it, that's just good leadership. That's a great way to, to run an organization. And so that's what I want to do this morning. I, I want to, I, wanna, uh, we, I mean... I mean, we don't have to deal with the politics. We, we, don't, have to, we don't have to you know, deal with the grandstanding, but we do have everybody in one room, or at least one room and some online stuff. What if we had a little state of the church address? What if we talked about how the year went and then hopefully cast vision for the year ahead? Does that sound like something that could be fruitful? So, how did things go this last year? Anybody got some ideas? Well, it, it might surprise you, but I think the answer is actually pretty good. I think the year went pretty good. And, and, and yeah, like there's, there's obviously a long list of disclaimers in there, and we all see the giant elephant in the room. But, but, but all things considered, when we, what we, we actually get to celebrate a lot of things that happened in 2020. Like, like a lot of things that happened in 2020. I, I know it might feel like it was 10 years ago, but there were actually two whole months of the year that existed before the world fell apart in March. I, I know you were, you were like, your kids were still in grade school. If you're, like, like it, I know it feels like it was forever ago, but January and February were actually pretty productive months for us. Um, so we got a handful of really good things done before, you know, just in that short amount of time. For starters, we kicked off new evangelism and discipleship efforts. We trained a whole bunch of people uh, to, uh, for evangelism stuff in what we call the three circles method. It's a method that we like around here. We, we trained a bunch of people for evangelism conversations. We, we got to, to do some of that. And, and, and so we also pushed uh, our small groups to, to begin being more intentional to pray for the lost. That was something that we, that we made as an emphasis here and said, small group leaders, this is, this is something that's going to be important to us in, in the next year. And, 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 and that, I mean, small groups didn't exactly play out the way we expected to, but that's something I, I think we, we saw a little bit of. And so why would we, you know, call our small groups to pray more intentionally for the lost? It's, well, it's because we like genuinely trust that petitioning God over and over again for somebody is going to end up burdening you to be a part of the solution. And so we called our small groups to do that. In addition to that, we also called our small groups to begin looking for uh, uh, projects and, and missions level efforts uh, that, that their group could be a part of, something that would make sense for their group. And we, and we saw some of that beginning to roll out in the very first part of the year. Uh, in Claude Nivenson's class, there's, in, Claude, he runs a men's class that meets just off the foyer there. They began training to become uh, hospice companions, volunteers that would sit with people who were in hospice. And we brought in a leader to train people how to do it, and they walked through that. Man, it was a, we had some really good stuff rolling. I know it feels like forever ago, but 
We started planting our flag in, in some really important things around here. Second good pre-pandemic thing, something we get to celebrate from this last year is that we got a lot of people, like a bunch of people, really excited about going on mission trips that we were putting together. If you remember, we actually had five set up for the summer. And we had people signed up for all of them. Think I was a little frustrated with COVID this year? Yeah, COVID shut all those down. But every single one of them are things that can be replanned. Can be relaunched whenever society stops on, you know, acting like a crazy person. Those can be put back together. We can get people excited about that again. We're bummed that those trips didn't happen, obviously, but like I think we can also get really excited about willingness. Yes, success is certainly important to us. That's never not true. Success matters, but but we, we value obedience more than we value success. We love obedience more than we love success. And that was clearly brewing in the early stages of last year. I think God might have a future where that brews again. Finally, a third pre-COVID thing that we can celebrate is that we got to baptize four people in February and March. Again, it feels like ages ago. We got to baptize four people in, in those, those first two and a half months before the world fell apart. Now, do we wish that, that we, you know, we could have kept up that pace from March on? Absolutely we do. You bet. And we'll talk about that some more in just a little bit. But for right now, I think it's good and right to celebrate what God did and, and is still doing in the lives of those four people. Right? He's changed eternities for some folks. Maybe that, that's worthy of celebration. But what about from March on, though, right? Like, sure, we get to celebrate in the first, stuff in the first eight to ten weeks, but like, March on, that, that's terrible. There's nothing good there, right? At all? Is there anything that our church family can celebrate? Yeah. Yeah, there is. And the short of it is this. Churches that were healthy when the pandemic began, I think are still healthy today. That's the shortest version of it. I can name churches that do not exist anymore because they fell apart the moment things got hard. I can rattle off names of places. Some we partner with, some we don't. But churches that were built around unhealthy standards, churches that chased after and prioritized things that unforeseen circumstances ripped away from them. Now, don't mishear me. I'm not saying that churches that are still around are proven to be healthy and churches that aren't are proven to, to not. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I am saying, though, is that by God's grace, a pandemic that ruined a lot of places has really only served to inconvenience us. I think we ought to pay attention to that. It's only served to inconvenience us. There's a lot to be frustrated about, for sure, even still today, but we're also kind of doing okay. We're afloat. Our head's above water. 
And maybe that can be attributed to some things. I think one of the major reasons for why that is is because healthy fundamentals can't be stripped away by things like pandemics. Other things that often get built up on top of those fundamentals, those things are often susceptible to moth and rust and thieves. But, but then there's the simpler stuff that God has actually called his people to do and chase after. And it seems like those things are a lot less fragile. Right? Simplicity in worship. A dedication to, to read and proclaim his word. A, a posture that is generous and is looking to serve rather than to be served. Those things, I mean, I think they shine forth as good and lovely when other postures begin to crumble under the pressure. So what can we point to from March on this year that's simple and healthy? Well, for starters, this year, we, we, even though the year was chaos, we still took steps to help us grow in, with both discipleship and outreach. Um, we recruited and installed leaders over each of those categories. Uh, we have a discipleship person and an outreach person now, Jeff Muster and Chris Fahey. Right, we help us think more intentionally and put together plans uh, concerning those things. And getting them up to speed during a pandemic, that's, that's a slow go. We can all admit that. But I'm excited to see how God is actually going to use them in the years to come because both of them are already thinking through and coming forward with ideas about how to get better at this stuff. And God's going to do some big things through those efforts. Even in a pandemic, we took steps to, to help our church get better at things that are incredibly important here. Another simple thing that we can celebrate is that is the generosity that, that we saw God work through us, through our church family this year. Not only did we never have to worry about paying our own bills, something that there's a lot of churches in our area that can't say. We, we never had to to worry about that. We, we've faithfully paid all of our bills the last 10 months. But, but in addition to that, we also made intentional steps this spring to identify several outside needs that we could be a part of blessing. If you remember, we, we started throwing one need after the next in front of you, and then you responded so incredibly well to that. Right? Uh, whether it was asking you to donate cleaning supplies for those who weren't able to, to get out, or donating to our uh, local pregnancy help center, or providing uh, industrial-sized bread-making machines for a small village in Ghana. You uh, stepped up to and gave extra gifts through the cooperative program so that our partners at the Baptist Convention of New England could be in a better financial place, right? And so, and that kind of stuff doesn't even begin to touch our normal extra giving rhythms like uh, Annie Armstrong and Lottie Moon and Operation Christmas Child and the New England Missions Emphasis. Like, do, do you realize that one thing after the next, we said, hey, church family, wh what if we did this? And then you did it. Oh yeah, and a giant surge in benevolence giving this year that forced our deacons to get creative with giving stuff away. In fact, y'all gave so freely that we actually had to come to you twice over Thanksgiving and Christmas and say, hey, you got any more needs for us to fill? We got some money to spend. In a season when a lot of other folks went internal and did everything they could to protect the house, God instead used your 
maturity, your faithfulness to be a blessing to a whole bunch of other folks. By my estimate, our church funded an additional $16,000 this year of ministry outside of these walls, stuff that we can never attach our name to. And I genuinely believe that that is a clear marker of a healthy simplicity here. I genuinely believe that. I think it's an indicator of something that God is using for our good and for His glory rather than any kind of temporary, smaller kingdom that we might try to build and accomplish for ourselves. And you have no idea how incredibly proud I've been of you all this year. I, I beg God to make us good at a handful of things, to make us known outside of these place for, uh, this place for doing this and for doing this. This is one of the things that I beg God to make us good at. I, my, my prayer for us, my hope and dream for our church family is that when those who are outside of our church family think upon our church family, that this is one of the things they go, oh yeah, National Baptist does that. And man, y'all did that so incredibly well this year. So incredibly well. Our our church has been known for its generosity for a very, very long time, but one of the things that 2020 has provided us, if you want to create a category for good things that happened in 2020, things that, uh, that were beneficial to us in 2020, if you have a category in your head for that, one of the things that needs to go in that category was that it, was, it provided us an opportunity to be generous even when it was no longer easy to do so. When it, when it, would, have, when it would have been argued by some that, no, 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 it's okay to pull back. Uh, instead of pulling back, we pressed forward. And we did it so well. God used your faithful generosity to be a blessing outside of this place. And there's some things that we'll never get to take credit for. I think that's glorious. I think that builds God's kingdom rather than building something for us. But that's not all. Another thing we can celebrate about the last year is how much of a blessing our building has been. I know that seems like a weird thing to kind of celebrate, um, but follow me here. Um, not, not only did we have a place to, to, to broadcast out of and, and, and do ministry out of during the initial lockdown, but having our own building also made it possible for us to quickly gather again when that was finally allowed. Um, there are churches that we partner with that are still not able to meet in person, not because they don't want to, but because they don't own their building. And landlords, for whatever reason their landlords have, haven't allowed outside groups back in the door yet. We, we haven't had to deal with that this year. By God's grace, we haven't had to worry about that. Now, now don't mishear me. That's not some kind of slam dunk argument for why having a building is better than not having a building. All right? the churches all over the place believe that God has called them to, to allocate resources in specific ways. And, and who knows, maybe one of these days he might call us to do the exact same thing. But in this season, oh gosh, our building has been an incredible blessing to us. It's been an incredible blessing. And what needs to be seen concerning that is that more than a generation ago, 
Our church understood in that season that God was calling them to invest kingdom resources in this place. And in all the generations since then, all the, the, the seasons since then, uh, God has called us to, to faithfully maintain this place and continue investing resources in those place and, and in this place. And, and in those investments, that faithfulness in those previous seasons, guys, God used them to provide safety and security for us in this most recent season. Some of y'all have been around for all the seasons above. Some of y'all were there when this building was built and even before that. Some of y'all have been here every week since then. And so as one of the relative newbies here, hear me say, thank you. Thank you. I think we ate some fruit this year from trees that you were faithful to plant a generation ago. God blessed us this season by your faithfulness in previous seasons. Thank you. God has clearly blessed us in some absolutely massive ways this year. We could go on and on and on. If we wanted to sit down and create a longer list, we absolutely could. Yes, this year has been full of a lot of frustration and a lot of hard times and maybe even some unanswered questions, but because we're not at all where we could have been. And so I think the best and wisest thing that we could do right now is to stop and thank the giver of these good gifts instead of patting ourselves on the back. So let's do that. Let's pray. Father, you're good to us. Thank you for even the chaos of 2020. It's so easy to create the list of frustrations. Uh, for those of us who have experienced a year of, of pain even, rather than frustration, it would be easy to create the list of all the things that you seemingly took away. I know my heart especially is quicker to gripe than it is quicker to praise. God, we... We want so desperately to understand your goodness and your great gifts for us. Thank you. Thank you for showing us your goodness this year and things that we may not have been quick to, to notice, quick to celebrate. Help us celebrate them now. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I don't know what you're doing up here. I ain't done. <laughs> oh no, I got a lot. <laughs> you might want to sit down. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but we're allowed to pray in the middle of a sermon. <laughs> hey, so you ready to look at what I think God has called us to in 2021? I am Matthew 28. I promise you, it's super creative and quite visionary. Let's read it together. Uh, verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. 
And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Well, hey, isn't that the exact same text you read last year at this time? And the year before that? And the year before that one too? What's so, what's so creative and visionary about the Great Commission? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I mean, it was really visionary when Jesus gave it, but nothing's changed since then. Nothing. See, at the end of the day, God's people haven't been called to be creative and visionary. What we're called to is to make disciples of all nations. That's our job. The church, whether we're talking about our church or any other biblically ordered, faithful church down the road from us, whether they're close or on the other end of the planet, the church has one job to do. Make disciples. That's it. Now, we can and should use creative and fresh ideas to accomplish that one job. Creativity is not out of bounds, but neither is it an end in of itself. It is a tool that can be used faithfully, which means that it's also a tool that can be used unfaithfully. Tools can be picked up or put down when they're needed, but if the tool becomes the object of your worship, we got a big old problem. What we do here, whether we're talking about grand structural things that we've been doing for the last 50 years or we're talking about some creative idea that we already know won't be around next week, all right, those things either serve our one job to do, they help us accomplish our one job, or they stand in the way of our one job to do. Matthew 28 is the measuring stick. Right before Jesus ascended into heaven, he tells his followers, all authority in heaven and on earth belong to him, right? And, and I, I don't know if you've ever really thought through that comment or not, but that is an absolutely massive claim. Absolutely bold thing to say, because either he's wrong about that claim or he's right about that claim. There's no in between. You can't claim to have all authority in heaven and on earth and, and, and be partially right. He's either to channel our inner C.S. Lewis for a second, he's either a liar, a lunatic, or he's the sovereign lord of the cosmos. And if either options A or B are true, then, then we shouldn't listen to him. He's a liar or a lunatic. We should reject him. Everyone should reject him. He's not, he needs to be held away and maybe prevented from acting on his lunacy. Lock him up, throw away the key, guard us from this crazy man Jesus. Megalomaniac Jesus. But if option C is correct, if he really is Lord of heaven and earth, if he really does hold all authority that can be held, then whatever comes out of his mouth next isn't exactly up for debate. He's not looking for alternative ideas. He's not looking for feedback. He's not looking for you to help him game out how to accomplish a, some kind of modified but still somewhat similar goal. He's not grading on a curve here. He's making a command with all the authority that can be held. There are no greater authorities to critique or criticize him. Correct him. So what does he command? Well, in verse 19, what does he say? Go, therefore, and make disciples 
of all nations. In other words, busy yourself making other followers of me from all of the other peoples. That's what he says. Evangelize them, baptize them, disciple them, go to them and teach them to do everything I taught you to do. That's what he says. Okay, that sounds great, but what does that mean for us in 2021 though? Well, I think it means that regardless of whatever might be playing out in our world right now, it's still our one job to do. It hasn't changed. Okay, but I don't know if you notice, that's really hard to do right now. I mean, sure, it's important at all, but I'm spending a lot of time by myself at the moment. Don't really have a lot of interaction with other people. I mostly connect through a screen in this season of my life. And so, yes, it's important, but I'm going to need to put that on hold for the moment. I got other stuff to worry about right now. Jesus doesn't say, make disciples in all of the seasons that the world isn't distracted by something it thinks is a bigger, more important problem. He says, make disciples. Our king has commanded his subjects to make disciples. In fact, the piece that we most commonly assume is the command part, go, that's not a command at all. The command in this sentence, grammatically speaking, is the make disciples part. When Jesus says, go here, he's just kind of assuming that you will because that's precisely what it takes to accomplish disciple making cross-culturally. You got to get out of your bubble and go somewhere else that's not your bubble. When we ask the question, When we ask the question, how does the the Great Commission influence the next calendar year? How does Jesus' command bear weight on 2021, church family? The answer, the answer is the exact same way it has every year since Jesus uttered those words. Nothing's changed. The exact same way. Period. I know, but things are just kind of awkward right now. Yeah, they are. They really are. But last I checked, awkwardness doesn't make the lostness of those who aren't disciples yet any less damnable. It doesn't. Pandemic or no pandemic, we we genuinely believe that all have fallen short of the glory of God. Pandemic or no pandemic, we genuinely believe that the wages, the thing properly earned for sin, is death. Pandemic or no pandemic, we genuinely believe that salvation is freely offered by grace through faith, purchased by the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross. And pandemic or no pandemic, we genuinely believe that salvation comes by hearing the word of God. People come to saving faith because God's people were faithful to bring the good news of Jesus to them. Church family, God's people do not fail to be disciple makers because the circumstances in our life are too difficult to be obedient. We fail to be disciple makers because we buy into the lie that those circumstances are somehow more costly than our disobedience. We get it backwards. We lose sight of the eternal ramifications of what we've been called to. And we settle for cheaper things like, you know, avoiding the awkward moment. But that's not loving. In fact, it's the opposite. It's terribly selfish. We might try to dress it up 
better with, you know, better sounding excuses, but at the end of the day, all that is is considering someone else's eternity cheaper than my own need to save face. At least that's all it is in my heart. Maybe you're better at justifying things than I am. I don't know what this year is going to bring us when it comes to things like returning to normal. I, I hope for a lot, but to be honest, there's, there's not a lot in the headlines that would cause me to believe that that's true, or at least will be true for a while. But King Jesus doesn't, he doesn't give any caveats here. He doesn't give any parameters to, to line out some some buts and some maybes. And so those who wish to, to be faithful need to figure it out, right? Now, maybe you can't go meet somebody for coffee right now. That's a hard thing to do. And, and no, you can't get on an airplane next week and go take the gospel to some unreached people group, right? That's clearly obvious, but make no mistake about it, death didn't take last year off. And... Based on the notifications I keep getting on my phone from all these new services, it doesn't look like he's taking this year off either. Right now, it's, it's running up the score on us. Maybe we ought to fight back. But how do we do that? It's one thing to, to rant and rave about what our job to do is, but give us some practicals, Pastor. What do, how do we do that? Honestly, I think it's the exact same ones we spelled out last year probably don't remember, but I do. I think we need to be intentional about going after our one. About going after our one. See, the simple reality is that there are people in your life, in your circle of influence, that, are you, that you, 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 are uniquely qualified to win for Jesus. You are uniquely positioned to win for Jesus. No one can talk to them like you talk to them. No one knows them like you know them. We believe that God is sovereign, meaning that, that he is Lord and King over all people and all places and all things and all moments. That he's actually ruler over those things. The Apostle Paul in Acts 17 uh, said it this way, that he has determined the, our allotted periods and the boundaries of our dwelling place. That God is sovereign and king over everything. This means that God has wired you exactly like you and positioned you exactly where he's positioned you on purpose. Quarantine included. Quarantine included. It's not some accident. It is, it is the design of a good God who wants to use you for his good purposes. But that also means that all the other people you're connected to right now, they're not an accident either. It's not some cosmic slip up. He has put you in their pathway because they desperately need to, to hear the gospel and you just happen to know it. He's given them a missionary you. Oh, but I'm not really a good communicator. I mean, I know it's important, but I don't, I don't feel like I could do a very good job. First of all, that's not true. That, that's a lie. You, you can do a good job. It may, not, it may not be flashy, but your friend doesn't need flashy. They, they don't need a flashy gospel presentation from you. What they need is for you to be burdened. Burdened with, for them to hear the good news of what Jesus has done 
for you. We like to say it this way around here. If you believe the gospel, you know enough to repeat the gospel. If you believe the gospel, you know enough to repeat the gospel. So start repeating it on a regular basis and watch what God does with it. I don't know. Maybe he's capable. Think he is? Think he's capable of using your insufficiency for his glory? Kind of has a habit of that, right? So you can share the gospel successfully. You can. But secondly, let's help you get better. Mentioned the three circles training earlier. We like that version around here. It's one of many really good uh, methods of sharing the gospel. We, we're equipped to, to train you in that. We're going we're gonna to plan some more uh, training opportunities this year. Some of them will be online. Some of them will be in person. Some of them will be in a class setting. Some of them will be one-on-one. We got options for you. Let us train you. You may not be very flashy, but we can make you a little bit more flashy. We can handle that. But listen, not only is it time to go after our one, it's time for us to go after our 99 as well. Um, if nothing else, this year has proven how broken our world is, right? It's also proven how impotent most of the greatest solutions people try to offer up really are. Powerless to save people. And so uh, all of those mission trips that got shut down last year, guess what we're going to try to replan? we got some work to do. We're going to start putting some things together. And I, and I know that there's still a lot of things up in the air. Where that's obvious. That's clear to everybody. But we're going to be obedient in the planning part and trust that God is sovereign over both the, the circumstances and the results. Lord willing, some of that plan is going to stick. And if it doesn't stick, then God chose to shut it down again. But we're going to be obedient on our end. We're going to begin putting those plans back in place, and God's going to make himself more famous because of it somehow. He'll figure it out. So we go after our one, we go after our 99, and just like last year, I think we need to lean in to accomplishing those efforts through the simple tools that God has already seen fit to give his people. In other words, we pursue making disciples, not by some elaborate initiative that we came up with, but by actually pressing in obediently to the simple tools that God has already given. Things like the, the steady reading and proclamation of his word. Things like the continual and fervent prayer for the lost. Things like a committed effort to be gospel repeaters, trusting that God's going to do something with that. Wouldn't it be better that get people excited around some grand vision of the future endeavors of Nashua Baptist Church? Maybe. That really only works if you believe that we can come up with a better plan than God did. Maybe he's smarter than us. Moreover, when all's said and done, when those grand plans, whether they were successful for us or they weren't, those grand plans will ultimately fade into the background of what our king has actually commanded us to do. We only have one job to do, pandemic or no pandemic. We have one measuring stick. But if you look at the end of verse 20 there, there's something absolutely massive that's been promised to us that I think makes this simple obedience incredibly worth it. What does it say? Jesus says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Could it be, could it be that those who walk in the simplicity of King Jesus' commands actually get more of him? 
that working our tails off to be slick might actually sometimes cause us to, to, to separate ourselves and distance ourselves from our king. I'll confess, there's, there's a lot of seasons in my life where I came up with grand plans that left me alone. Could it be that actually pressing in to Jesus' design, Jesus gives us more of himself? I think it is. And I gotta tell you, regardless of what those other more elaborate plans might give us, I think I'd rather have Jesus. I want our entire church family to walk deeply with him, and I don't think I would trade anything that could ever be offered in its place. 2020 was a really weird year, but I think that one of the best things that it's done, I think it's proven how proven to us that a healthy simplicity may be better than all the stuff that we try to build for ourselves. I want the same for 2021, no matter what the year ends up looking like. I, I want more of Jesus. I want that, that simple health. And, and, and the promise that, that Jesus will be with us is, no matter what is coming down the pipe, I, I think that's a really good promise to hang our hat on. We can lean in with both confidence and with joy as we do what our King has commanded. So how do we respond to something like this, right? Like normally, normally we open up a, a, a piece of scripture and we, we read the text and we talk about the text and then we try to respond to our text. That's really our bread and butter around here. Like, like, like I, we don't know how to really do things any other way. And so the question is, I think, fair one. How in the world do you respond to something like this? If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus yet, I, I think you respond by meeting this Jesus the one who is king and can actually make these kind of commands and back it up with, with fulfillment, right? Think you meet Jesus. I love that you're hanging around, but, but here's, the, here's the, the thing. The unapologetic aim of this church is to turn you into a disciple of Jesus. So uh, what you waiting for? We can do something about that. The Bible teaches that your sin separates you from a holy God. There's not a person in my life, myself especially, who could stand before an infinitely holy judge and be declared innocent. I am guilty as the day is long. There's nothing in me that is blameless at all. I am guilty and you are guilty, but God made a way there where there was no way. Jesus came, he put on flesh and he dwelt among us. He lived the sinless life that neither you nor I am capable of living. He died on the cross as, a, and as an innocent substitute to make payment for your sin. And he was raised again from the dead as a vindication of his perfect and sufficient righteousness. And now as the king who conquered sin and death, he calls on you in this moment to respond to him in repentance and faith, to turn away from your sin and to turn to him as Savior and Lord. And you can, you can do that this morning. I'd love to be helpful to you. love to Help you navigate through what that response of faith looks like. In a moment, I'm going to pray and we're going to sing. That's a time that's set apart specifically for you to put action to what God is calling you to. So use it. If you're here this morning and you're, not a, and you're already a follower of Jesus, what's our response to God's word, right? Man, I really think you need to answer the question, what is your one job to do? 
Sure, it's easy to, to agree that it's the one job of the church, that we got one measuring stick around here, but what about in your own life? Do you see it as your one job to do? Yeah, yeah God has wired you in specific ways. He's made you good at this and not so good at that, but disciples make other disciples, full stop. And we're all going to make disciples in different ways. That's going to flesh itself out differently in each and every one of us. But the command is never up for suggestion. It's never a possibility for your life. It is the ongoing purpose of your life. So maybe you're beginning to make some big plans for this next year. Starting to circle dates on that brand new calendar for all the things that you didn't get to do in 2020. Can I ask the question? How, how much is your one job to do actually influence the circles on the calendar so far? What's your one job to do? I, I think our, our response to God's word this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, I think our response is the exact same thing that it is every single week. We repent of sin and we lean into his goodness. You, you want a good year? Maybe chase after the eternal. Walk deeply with Jesus as you do, trusting he'll give you more and more of himself as you chase. And regardless of whatever 2021 ends up looking like, I, I think we'll all be able to come back into this room next year and celebrate a whole bunch of important things that God did. We can say he accomplished this, and we can say he accomplished that, and we can say that he sustained us the entire time, regardless of what 2021 looks like, whether it's infinitely better than the last year, or it's way, way worse. If we get Jesus, I think we'll be happy with the result. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. However God is calling you to respond this morning, let's respond together right now. Hey, Booker, you can come up now. Father, you're good to us. Thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for Matthew 28 and a familiar call. Thank you for being the God who never changes. Thank you for being the God whose plan is infinitely better than ours, whether it was given today or 2,000 years ago or a millennia before that. You are wise and you are good. You love us with a great love. Would you help us walk in faithfulness? Never pounding our chests as, as if we've accomplished something amazing, but celebrating your goodness and what you've done through us. And God, thank you for, for, for the calendar change. Thank you that we've left the year behind that was so chaotic, but... If you choose to give us more chaos this year, at least give us yourself. I think we'd all call that a win. Father, for those who don't know you yet, would you call people to yourself this morning? Would you open eyes to see and hearts to know, ears to hear, God? Would you draw men and women into your kingdom this morning? Make them disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. You are good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.